Because the White House has finally announced they plan to end the COVID public health emergency in May. Take that, COVID. We beat you. Shove that up your nose and rotate it five times. <laughs> this, has been, this has been a long time coming. I wish you could see the smiles on the faces of my audience. And I wish I could, too, because they're still wearing masks. Here you go. I'm announcing that the Department of Labor is developing an emergency rule to require all employers with 100 or more employees that together employ over 80 million workers to ensure their workforces are fully vaccinated or show a negative test at least once a week. We're going to protect vaccinated workers from unvaccinated co-workers. We've been patient, but our patience is wearing thin. The last thing we need is the Neanderthal thinking that in the meantime, everything's fine. Take off your mask. Forget it. For unvaccinated, we are looking at a winter of severe illness and death for unvaccinated. For themselves, their families, and the hospital, they'll soon overwhelm. What's behind the decision to end the COVID emergency, Mr. President? What's behind your decision to end the COVID emergency? Well, the emergency will end when the Supreme We've extended to May the 15th to make sure we get everything done. That's all. There's nothing behind the wall. Are you talking to Zelensky? Have you spoken to Zelensky recently? And what are you going to tell him about his further request? We're going to talk. Will you negotiate with Speaker McCarthy? And welcome back to Flyover Politics Podcast. It's the second of February year of our Lord 2023. I apologize for the sound quality on the last one. Something went wrong with the mic. I tried all sorts of adjustments. I could not get it to balance. Today, it seems like we're on planet Earth. But understand, God willing, by Monday, I'm supposed to have my new mic. And it won't happen again because I will take care of it. Our intro there, of course, Biden and uh, COVID. And, you know, come on. Come on, man. Come on. What is up with their COVID stuff? Seriously. How can you have a COVID emergency if you don't have a COVID emergency? And and let's be honest. Do you think for one fucking second Republicans could could get away with this? Does anybody does anybody believe that? I, I don't I don't think I don't think it would happen. I just don't think it would happen. So, want to do some stuff up front. We got our top six, a lot of race shit, all sorts of crazy. Understand, there's some J6 stuff that came down. 
that we're going to talk to about in a second, but the person who treated Ashley Babbitt just got charged with four misdemeanors after she was shot. Everyone knew the January 6th committee left out important material from its show hearing like this, which is critical, but wouldn't have helped tell the story the committee and showrunner wanted to tell. Concluded that the FBI and other security agencies could have prevented a violent mob from happening. The thing that's so good about it is NBC actually covered it. Now to our NBC News exclusive. The January 6th committee's final report was more than 800 pages, but some material did not make the cut, including much of its findings on the failures of federal law enforcement leading up to the attack. Here's Ken Delanian. The images of the attack on the Capitol stunned America and the world. And tonight, in an exclusive interview, the chief investigator of the January 6th committee says the government could have prevented it. Had law enforcement agencies acted on the available intelligence, do you believe the attack on the Capitol could have been successfully repelled? I think it would have been a lot different had law enforcement taken a more assertive, protective posture. The intel in advance was pretty specific, and it was enough, in our view, for law enforcement to have done a better job operationalizing a secure perimeter. To you, he said, he understands, the vice yes. president has no role. Yes. Okay. Former federal prosecutor Tim Hafey conducted most of the big interviews for the committee's public hearings. Law enforcement had a, a very direct role in contributing to really the failures, the security failures that led to the violence. People familiar with the committee's work tell NBC News members downplayed that finding because they wanted to keep the focus on former President Trump. Of course, my favorite part is because, well, they wanted to keep it that way. But any other world, it'd be like, well, they lied then, right? They lied. What you're saying is that the committee lied? Is that what we're saying? How about the media? Are we ever going to cover anything? Democrats are holding their rally in Atlanta. But I thought Atlanta was Jim Crow 2.0 where also surveys show 0% of black people had a problem voting. Yeah. But they'll never report this. This is on a committee yesterday where the Dems freak out because they'd have to say the Pledge of a fucking Allegiance. Mr. Gates is recognized to uh, explain his amendment. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Here on the August Judiciary Committee, we are charged with vindicating the constitutional rights of our fellow Americans. And the national, or, and our Pledge of Allegiance is a national symbol of pride and unity. And it was a great honor to be able to invite one of my constituents this morning to offer the Pledge of Allegiance. And so my amendment uh, gives uh, the committee the opportunity to begin each of its meetings with the Pledge of Allegiance. It gives our members the ability to invite inspirational constituents to be able to share and lead in the Pledge of Allegiance. I offered this amendment to the judiciary rules two years ago, and it was defeated, and I'm very optimistic that we'll have a different outcome today. That's the amendment, Mr. Chairman. So I'd like to offer an amendment to the amendment, uh, adding in the second paragraph where the chair may designate an individual to lead the Pledge of Allegiance to add the following language. 
Provided, however, the pledge shall not be led by an individual who supported an insurrection against the government of the United States in any way. Because I think if we adopt this amendment, then we will be truthful in, in representing that stating this pledge is an affirmation of your defense of democracy and the Constitution. It's hard to take that claim seriously if, in fact, an individual who in any way supported an insurrection against the government of the United States is allowed to lead the pledge. So I would ask Mr. Gates to accept this friendly amendment, and I look forward to supporting it. Would the gentleman yield for I first a ask question? Mr. Gates if he'll support the amendment. To make sure that someone who led an insurrection against the United States doesn't make a mockery of the Pledge of Allegiance and stand before this committee with their hand over their heart claiming to support the Constitution. M Mr. Cicilline, I, 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 my concern would be if your definition of an insurrection is objecting to electors, then there would be many Democrats on the committee that wouldn't be eligible to lead the pledge since so many uh, That's objected. not my definition I of mean, an the, the last Republican president I'll to get concede, sworn in absent I'll Democrat objectors me, was George Herbert Mr. Walker Bush. Claiming my time, Mr. Gates, I will allow the chairman to determine whether or not someone has participated in an insurrection in the United States. I think this language is important. Would the gentleman further yield? I'm asking Mr. Gates, will you now accept the amendment? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned that, that you may be disqualifying too many of your own members, Mr. Cicilline. I'm not concerned about that at all. Then agree to the amendment. I'm, not talking, I'm talking about elected officials who swear an oath to the Constitution of the United States who in any way participated, supported, facilitated, encouraged the insurrection against the government of the United States. That's not too hard a standard. And if you are not prepared to agree that before you have the honor of leading the Pledge of Allegiance before this committee, at a bare minimum, you've demonstrated a commitment to protecting and securing our democracy, I can't support it. So, Mr. Gates, uh, yeah, I Mr. know Cicilline, as a lover you, of the you, Constitution, you welcome this a, amendment. A dear lover of it. Mr. Cicilline, the, you've described the amendment in two different terms. The words have changed. Facilitate wasn't in your original description. It was in the second one. So if you'd like to write out your amendment pursuant to the order of the committee, uh, we can all take a look at it. I have it writing right You know, if, if you use their logic and we had a reverse of the media, they'd be saying, well, you all questioned 2000, 2004, 2016, 2018. You rigged 2020 and 2022. Shut up. Vox lockdowns can help end a pandemic. They just have to be used at the right time. Yeah, here we go with some more of the redoing it. Redoing. There's so many articles coming out about COVID that I, I'm not even covering it because I just want to get angry. Big philanthropy advances as big players in the private funding of, yes, yes, boys and girls, elections. Blue states are refusing, all right, refusing to stop the private funding. And I have to admit that I don't think the framers would have in a million years believed that was something we were going to do. The next soundbite, and we'll start our top six, uh, here are the media and their anti-Semitism, because there's been a lot of attacks in the Middle East, but they're all about Palestinians.
A situation which was triggered by a massive Israeli raid in the occupied West Bank city of Jenin last week, where 10 Palestinians were killed. The following day, in what's been described as a, quote, revenge attack, a Palestinian gunman opened fire outside a synagogue in East Jerusalem, killing seven, including six Israelis. And since then, there's been more acts of violence carried out by Palestinians and more raids by Israeli forces in the West Bank, including at least 144 attacks by Israeli settlers against Palestinians there. Now, this surge in violence comes as Israel's new government, which is described as the most extreme and right-wing in the country's history, triggered mass protests over its plans to weaken the judiciary, a protest movement Blinken appeared to support when meeting with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Another high-stakes meeting for Secretary Blinken, sitting down with Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas in the occupied West Bank for about an hour this morning. It has been a deadly month for Palestinians in the occupied territories. The Palestinian health ministry saying that more than 30 have been killed. So let's talk about your new government uh, because uh, we are now in a period, uh, President Biden likes to say, I think you do as well, uh, of, of a challenge of democracy versus autocracy. Um, and you saw the weekend, over the weekend, massive protests throughout Israel over your new judicial reform plan that would it allow the Israeli prime, uh, parliament, the Knesset, to override a Supreme Court decision with a simple majority vote. In 2017, though, just five years ago, you touted the importance of a strong, independent, honest, and impartial court. Your own former defense minister, Moshe Yalon, tweeted that this proposal, your proposal, would, quote, burn down the country and its values. What's your response? Well, first of all, I, I haven't changed my view. I think we need a strong, independent judiciary. But an independent judiciary doesn't mean an unbridled uh, judiciary, which is what has happened here. I mean, over the last 25 years. But with a simple majority vote to overturn a Supreme Court decision, I mean, that seems pretty outrageous. We've seen lots of people, and you've heard from the governor of the Bank of Israel. Here's our next story, because, you know, I could go on and on about how they are. The, the, this, this is a Bradley being delivered. Transcom is sending 60 Bradleys over there. And why are we sending our Bradleys now? Why? Two back to back and I'll just speed it up because I, I just got to play this because we had on our last podcast a bunch of Tucker Carlson's full of shit about the whales. And here is an athlete. I don't even know who she is. She's some um, tennis person getting asked a huge liberal question, and her reply back to this reporter is just priceless. Yeah, around 6.30 this morning, uh, we had a 35-foot humpback whale wash itself ashore. Uh, unfortunately, uh, it is now perished. Working with state and federal authorities, we've removed. I I don't know what you guys want us to do about it. Like talk about it. I I, I don't I don't know what's what's the goal here. That um, it's continuously brought up and uh, these incidents that, in my opinion, have nothing to do with players, but somehow you keep dragging players into it. So, what's the goal here? I think you should ask yourself that question, not me. Does it, just, sorry, just to clarify on that though, does it frustrate you that, um, you know, particularly last night, for example, it was a clear sort of pro-Russian demonstration 
happening within the grounds of the tournament, that these people are coming and using the Australian Open as a platform for this, these kind of demonstrations. Does that frustrate you? I, the whatever the answer I'm going to give it to you right now, it's going to be turned whichever way you want to turn it to. So does it bother me? What bothers me is um, there's real things that's going on in the world. And I don't know, are you a politician? Are you? Are you covering politics? Yes, and I'm a sports, and I'm an athlete, and you're asking me about things that maybe somebody says are in my control, but I don't believe that. So I don't know what you want me to answer. And if it's a provocative question, then, you know, you can, you can spin the story however you want. Here's some more Joe Biden stuff. You know this, right? He's an Iranian on a terror watch list that came across the border. Yeah, that's good shit. That's good shit. And our next segment is going to be DeSantis. So he has just struck the chord with these people. Doing things that his constituents want. They are so fired up that they're writing articles stopping the wrecking ball. Because they they do not want him. And then you have this guy, some Twitter guy, and I didn't get him on a slide. His name is No Lie with Brian Tyler Cohn. This is what a Florida school now looks like because of new DeSantis law. It's a complete fucking lie. It's wrong. And it doesn't matter. Because our media is so invested And taking down the next person. Even that Joe girl that I've covered on the podcast is inverted now straight to DeSantis. So for our sound bites, it's on like Donkey Kong. They're going to try to take DeSantis out. This is so important to get this clarity because I think there is the perception and this is the, really the power of the narrative that has come and emerged right. from all of this. Um, and it's important to really not only demystify the process, but to clarify and fact check what has been said. You know, the, the governor um, DeSantis spoke about the idea of not understanding really the need to have a separate course material or coursework right. on African-American history because it should all be incorporated and it's all part of more of the umbrella term of American history. Um, you know, you your expertise, obviously, in the work you do as the professor of African-American studies and in all the work you've done, you recognize there is value in having a nuanced um, curriculum with respect to it. Tell us why. Well, a, a couple of reasons. First of all, we all know that from the students who were in the interviews um, that your colleague Leila Santiago conducted, that American history does not include African-American history writ largely. 
So that's number one. Number two, this is a course in African-American studies. So it's not just a history course, but it's bringing together literature, visual analysis, data analysis, primary sources, and, and other issues that are related to understand black life, black history, and black thought. But as importantly, okay, uh, we know that white supremacy is a central part of American education. An update now on a story we brought you last week. The college board today unveiling a stripped-down version of its AP African American Studies class. The move comes after Florida Governor Ron DeSantis rejected it, claiming it pushed a political agenda. Zinkley Esamwa now on what's changed. Langston Hughes, who knows who Langston Hughes is? Tonight, the College Board unveiling a new framework for advanced placement African-American studies after pressure from critics to not include topics like Black Lives Matter and sexual orientation. A critique many students in the pilot course resisted. It really hurt. Like, I thought we were moving forward in life. The College Board saying its new syllabus includes the study of black artists, inventors, and gay Americans pivotal in the civil rights movement. This is the beginning of a process that will more democratize American education this latest chapter of U.S. education debate sparking protest and legal pushback in Florida last week. Black history is American history. Republican Governor Ron DeSantis banning the pilot AP course in Florida. His latest move restricting the teaching of race and sexuality in public schools. When you try to use black history to shoehorn in queer theory, uh, you are clearly trying to use that uh, for political purposes. The College Board's new curriculum will no longer include authors flagged by Florida officials as scholars of concern, but it says the revisions were made independently from political pressure, adding it consulted with more than 300 professors of African American studies and piloted the course in 60 schools across the country. Do you believe this updated course framework will be enough for Florida to lift their current ban? I do not believe that Florida is going to lift the ban because it's never been about this course. The governor was very clear. African-American studies doesn't have educational value. Okay, let's get your reaction first to the College Board releasing its official framework for the AP African-American Studies course. This, of course, coming after Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis banned it from classrooms in the state. Well, unfortunately, you know, Governor DeSantis has been very, very clear. He has what just appears to be a white nationalist agenda. And what, what I hate most is he just always attacks the most vulnerable, whether it's AP, African-American history, whether it's the LGBTQ community, whether it's immigrants, he always attacks the most vulnerable. And I just, it says a lot more about us than about him. And I just hope voters in Florida and voters across the country um, don't think that's what our country needs. It's, it's more, more bullying, more attacking on those that, that need our help and need our support. Have you been able to look through this initial framework that was just unveiled? Because we're looking at it at the screen now. Any changes, if you have, that, that stands out to you that maybe perhaps worries you? Yeah, I, I haven't seen the details. I think it's just so important that young people have access to America's full history, that we don't hide from the, from the tough parts and we celebrate the, the good parts. Zooming out on the Tyree Nichols funeral today, uh, people both inside the United States and outside are looking at this killing and asking, is the United States a racist society? I'd like to hear your thought on that and also what the administration is doing beyond just police reform, qualified immunity, those discussions, what the U.S. is doing holistically, what the administration is doing holistically to address that perception. So 
at the top of the briefing, you heard me lay out uh, how important this month is because it's Black History Month, uh, and how important uh, it is to see black Americans uh, and lifting up the contribution of black Americans and also uh, understanding that their culture, uh, when you think about black culture is American, is also American culture. Uh, when you think about uh, what they've been able to, uh, what the black community has been able to contribute to the history of this country, uh, what we, they've been able to contribute in many different sectors uh, of, uh, of America. And so that's something that's really important that we will continue to lift up. There was a uh, memorandum that was put out by the president. And look, you know, when the president walked into this administration, he said there were four crises that we were needed to deal with. One of them was COVID, one of them was the economy, uh, climate change, and he talked about racial injustice. Uh, and he had, he had given many, he has given many. Uh, we're going to cover the funeral in a bit because they, they are so dishonest about everything. Um, there was more investigations into his houses. And this is a reporter. Good news for Biden, they didn't find anything. Good news for Biden. Their new plan for climate. Don't leave your fucking house. Remote work. It's stuff that they, they're really serious about this. Gonna get to my point, but some more. What does this inflation hit? America's low-paid worker. Inflation hits the hardest. Low income. All the pictures are black people. In this article by the Washington Post. Eggs. 60 fucking percent higher. But they're going to go after DeSantis because they'd rather have this shithead than literally any conservative. Because in the world they live in, well, he's woke and we can do what we want through it. Here's just a couple that Taniki motherfucking Coates piece of shit and The View talking about well, the only way we fix police brutality is to beat white people. So, how to be a young anti-racist? That means you're already banned in Florida. So, <laughs> it's funny when we talk about race because we live in a country that um, the, the, the Congress and Senate uh, voted for uh, a Juneteenth bill. But the, we're the same nation that doesn't want to talk about slavery. They'll have Martin Luther King and Robert E. Lee day on the same days. So I, I think when it comes to racism, I think that a lot of people believe that if they're not actively saying the N-word or doing or saying bigoted things, that means they're not racist. But in our children, we can see the potential of things that we, we hope to never, we, that we hope we could realize but probably never will. So that is an angle I think that is probably substantive. Yeah, I think when it comes to children, I have two of my own, mm -hmm. and it's important for me that they enter a world that they feel empowered to change, mm -hmm. which is why we wrote this book, right? So Dr. Kendi wrote his memoir years ago, and I latched onto it, slid into his DMs, <laughs> and asked if I could do a young reader's right. version, because right. it's important that young people have the tools. I get so many kids who are asking, well, what do I do? How do I help? What do I change? How can I get into this fight and do something about it? And so creating 
a text like how to be a young anti-racist, we're giving them information where they're learning these definitions, they're learning what, what racism actually give me, is. Give me, give me an example of what racism actually is. So racism is a system of ideas. So you have racist ideas, sure. and they are basically, they're made to keep inequities going, right? right? So the whole purpose of a book like How to Be a Young Anti-Racist is to give young people terms right. that we can all agree on, that way we know what we're standing against. Like, like what? Like racism. Having a term, a definition for racism helps them see, okay, this is what we're trying to fight. Because mm -hmm. one of the things that happens is people who have historically been racist refuse to define that term. Mm -hmm. Of course. Because why, it allows you? them to exonerate themselves right. consistently and constantly. It, and, and even young people, therefore, don't know what it is, so they can't even assess themselves and guide themselves. And the thing that's so frustrating for me is our, our stories tend to start in the middle. Mm -hmm. Like, we were something before this. And it's just like even what's going on in Florida. You don't even want us to learn our history. Like, there was a time when enslaved people couldn't learn, and now it's illegal for us to learn about enslaved people. Yeah. Ooh. So... <laughs> I, I don't understand why he believes that he wants people to see the, the history of Western civilization and history and philosophy of Western civilization, because he, he wants it seen through that lens. Why is your lens better than my lens? What, what, you know, so you're basically saying, like to people like Marion Croak, you're not going to teach about her. Her history is American history. What, what, what is it that he doesn't get? We're not going anywhere. Just because you stop teaching it in the colleges, you think people are going to stop telling these stories? My folks are from Florida. They're Floridians. And they've been black the whole time. They were raised, <laughs> they were raised in Florida. There's always been black people in Florida. And if you're not careful, that base is going to rise up and vote your ass out of there. What do you yeah. think about the fact that a couple of the white officers that were involved, or a white officer and some of the other mm -hmm. uh, EMTs haven't been charged. Yeah. On um, paid administrative leave. What's good for the goose isn't seeming to be good for the gander, right? And yeah. we are seeing, we are, right? We're seeing what that coat of white protection looks like in actuality, and we have to call it that and name it. You think he's a racist? <laughs> <laughs> I think he's anti-black, and I really like yeah. to say that precisely because Sonny made a brilliant point. He talks about the importance of Spanish culture, yeah. of Chinese mm -hmm. culture. Right. So there's a global inclusion mm -hmm. that works over time yeah. to eliminate and erase blackness specifically, yes. and we have to but identify that. That, that is basically to say to his... Yeah. Uh... So many articles I could waste your time. Tyree Nichols' case, does diversity in policing help? No. Black Americans are much more likely to face audits. Well, Al Sharpton wasn't. That motherfucker old millions. He got away with it. Everywhere you can throw your dick. Nicole Hannah-Jones, 1619. In fact, if you can go to the New York Times and you don't have a prescription, you can see the lasting impact of the 1619 project where she made it up. Jason Rantz. Oh, this is the, I didn't do the rants article. Identity-obsessed progressives can't fathom crime without racism. AP, impassioned calls police reform at the Tyree Nichols funeral. Let's, um, let's go ahead and go into the funeral. Tell me this doesn't remind you of the Obama days.
mothers around the world, when their babies are born, pray to God when they hold that child that that body and that life will be safe for the rest of his life. Yet we have a mother and a father who mourn the life of a young man who should be here today. They have a grandson who now does not have a father. His brothers and sister will lose the love of growing old with their baby brother. And when we look at this situation, this is a family that lost their son and their brother through an act of violence at the hands and the feet of people who had been charged with keeping them safe. And when I think about the courage and the strength of this family, I think it demands that we speak truth. And with this, I will say, this violent act was not in pursuit of public safety. It was not in the interest of keeping the public safe because one must ask, was not it in the interest of keeping the public safe that Tyree Nichols would be with us here today? Was he not also entitled to the right to be safe? So when we talk about public safety, let us understand what it means in its truest form. Tyree Nichols should have been safe. Well, Reverend Al, you don't understand. How are they going to keep crime down in the black community and at the same time not be tough and rough? Well, they do it the same way they do it on the white side of Memphis. And they keep the crime down without being rough and tough. How do you have the same department that can keep crime down on one side of town? without beating folk to death. But you can't do it on the other side of town unless you feel that you can get away with it there. I can't speak for everybody in Memphis. I can't speak for everybody gathering. But for me, I believe if that man had been white, you wouldn't have beat him like that that night. That's why I'm still marching. Yes, I got books out. Yes, I got a TV show, but I'm a mountain climber. I'm not going to stop till I get to the top of the mountain. You can call me names on right-wing television. I'm a mountain climber. I expect stumbles to come my way. I'm a mountain climber. You can disgrace me. You can discredit me, but I'm going to keep on climbing. I'm going to climb until Tyrese Nichols get justice. I'm going to climb until Eric Gardner gets justice. I'm going to climb until we change the laws. We're mountain climbers. We're not day traders. We're mountain climbers. And if God be for us, it's more than the whole world against us. He walks with me. He
talks with me. He tells me that I'm his own. He's been fooled. When I was hungry, water. When I was thirsty, he's my rock. He's my rock. He's my rock. My sword and shield. Black guys beat up a black guy, and they're playing it like white guys beat up a black guy because it's the white people's fault. I mean, it's out of the mainstream. They're not covering it because it didn't sell. They couldn't just blame all whiteies, and Don Lemon couldn't carry on. But I could play hundreds of sound bites of just crazy shit everywhere. And I ask once again, what does this have to do with anything? Some fucking hood rat cops go Waco on a dude and you still have to somehow make it about race. Blame America. It just, I don't understand it, but as is our way, neither is the woke game. There's some winner, winner chicken dinners up in this soundbite package. The FDA proposes easing restrictions on blood donations from gay and bisexual men, reversing what advocates have long called discriminatory policies. We have to point out, for over a generation, gay and bisexual men have been shut out from donating blood as freely as anyone else and fighting for the right to do so. When you, when you think about this moment, how important is it right now? This is critical. Um, this is the biggest reduction that we've seen since the policy was implemented in 1985. Every time that they cut it back, there was still a blanket deferment policy. This is the first time that we've really seen the FDA look at individual donors and see what their individual risk is. Cole, you came to this work from a very personal experience. During the pandemic, the nation was experiencing a blood supply shortage. Your whole family wanted to donate, as I understand. What happened? Yeah, so there was commercials. You couldn't miss them all the time on the TVs. And my family decided, as a four of us, that we wanted to go give blood. However, I knew that because of the deferment policy, I wasn't eligible. And that led to um, not a tense conversation, but definitely a little bit of an awkward one where I had to say, you know what, I can't. Um, I wish that I could, but that's kind of the reality of this situation. I feel like the trans woman period isn't really talked about enough. So you see, uh, a few days ago, uh, I started experiencing extra breast tenderness, um, like more than normal. Like a lot of trans women will experience that with the hormones, especially as they grow, but it was extra sensitive essentially. So uh, I have an extra medication on top of my um, my hormones that I just started. So I have some concerns about like if it started poorly interacting or whatever, um, especially because the other day, um, the day after the breast tenderness started, my abdomen started cramping up and I was starting to feel extremely gassy. Um, the gassiness was bloating. The abdomens, it was, they, they were cramps. So I go to the hospital, um, per their recommendation, just to make sure everything's okay. Um, and 
so I, I lay down on the table, describe my symptoms to the doctor. The doctor kind of puts pressure on my lower abdomen area where the pain is centered. And I come to find out that they were PMS symptoms. I was experiencing PMS from my estrogen. I have no uterus. I have no blood coming out of weird places. But I'm still getting the cramping, the tiredness, the irritability, uh, all of that. The breast tenderness is part of it, too. All of that. It was PMS. And um, the reason why I feel like bringing that up is because uh, it was, like, one of the few things I wasn't really warned about before I started hormones. Um, so hopefully somebody can see this and uh, kind of get that heads up uh, so that they're not shocked like I was. I'm glad you asked. Let's talk about it. So try gender and the way you identify in it can be very heavily based on your culture and your cultural background. For example, I know in Hawaiian culture, um, there are three genders. There's a third gender. Uh, I forget what it's called. I'm sorry. But if you happen to be native Hawaiian, you could identify as that third gender and then man and woman. Or if you happen to be you know, from Native Hawaiian background, and and on the other side you have a different background that also has a third gender, you can identify as those two non-binary genders. And then take your pick if you want man or woman, or a, not even another non-binary gender. But all in all, it comes from your cultural background. So for me, I come from a very heavy Dutch background and American background, so for me it's more based on if there's man on one side, woman on the other, and non-binary is somewhere in the middle, and then I take up that whole area, the whole bar there. And I know for a lot of people, non-binary is a completely separate spectrum, and I that's just not my experience, but I still think that that's a valid experience to have. It all depends on your experiences and your personal history, you know? I hope this answers your question. Let me know if you have any more questions and I'd be happy to answer them. Oh, I think I forgot to mention, for those of you who are newer here or just don't know, I identify as trigender. This is my trans identity and I am a man, a woman, and non-binary. So, you know, take that bar again, man, woman, non-binary. I just take up the whole bar. And it's different from gender fluid because the, the, Gender identity never changes or shifts where one gender identity is stronger than the other or anything like that, you know? I'm very happy to talk about this stuff, so please don't feel like any of your questions are too weird or anything like that for me. But of course, do try to phrase them in the politest way you can. <laughs> Alright, with that, I will see you soon. Bye! I think gender ideology in general is very narcissistic. It's like, these are my pronouns, this is my gender. Let me talk to you about how I want to be referred to and how you should refer to me. And the whole idea of an app where you go online and you just film yourself talking, I think that it's a really good match, those activists and TikTok, because TikTok is really a platform for narcissists. Today I sit down with Chaya Reichek, creator of the viral Twitter account, Libs of TikTok. She was doxxed in a controversial Washington Post article last year. They create this content and then I put it out there in their own words and they don't really want us to see it. They want to just live in their bubble where everybody agrees with them. So I'm posting this content and they just can't handle it. This is American Thought Leaders and I'm Yanya Kellick. That's a teacher.
That's a fucking teacher. And the blood sound bite, you gave that prep medicine, and all these guys still are getting HIVs. You can't give blood because of HIV. But even that's homophobic now, so they say. And to show that it's all about kids, the Sims game offered trans character options for kids. A base game update is here where we need new content, including medically wearables, binders, shapewear, and light switch, and more inflected bug fixes and console game improvement. So you're going after children. Fight over gender identity schools hits in a small main town. Hmm. Really? A small main town. Trans woman charged at YMCA. And then there's this, which I watched live last night on our local Channel 5 news, news show out of Nashville. Happening today, lawmakers in both the state house and Senate will take up a bill that some say infringes on the constitutional right of performers here in Tennessee. Cole Johnson live from our state capitol. So, Cole, what's this all about? Good morning, Ben. Well, this bill was filed back in November by Republican lawmakers, and it really is targeting those drag performers and adult cabaret performers. But really, the main meat of this is that ki have, if kids have access to these shows or not. So it would ban both adult cabaret performances and drag shows in public places. The definition the bill is working off of includes everything from topless dancers to male or female impersonators in a public place. According to State Senator Jack Johnson, there were inappropriate performances in public, which sparked the bill. And we've heard from performers who could be impacted. One talking about how they have different acts with some they called perfectly appropriate. Opponents of the legislation call it extremely hurtful, saying it would devastate pride and pride parades. If this passes, performers could be charged with a misdemeanor and the second offense is a felony. And if this bill were to become law, we're a long ways from that. But if it were to, it would go into effect in July. Reporting live at the state capitol, Cole Johnson, News Channel 5. I always believed we didn't have this problem here, but we clearly do because this is a Tennessee teacher. Pushing woke. Pushing woke. Which is just scary. So our buddy Carlisle's back at it. Um, let me zoom this back up because I'm going to be reading off it. Uh, lawmakers in eight states have recently introduced bills targeting drag shows. So I replied, probably not smart because of the way these people are. Of course, states are doing this. The left's obsession with forcing their LGBTQIA religion on kids as little as five to create little activists has pissed parents off who have taken it to their legislature. Same would happen if righties pushed their religion, religion, on five-year-olds. So you think far right doesn't force religion? They try, but are stopped by school districts and the media, which is the point. You are fine with stopping religion in schools by what's the phrase you media types use? Oh, yeah, white Christian nationalist. But parents push back on this drag push and are terrorists, right? MTP Sunday. By the way, show me an image of a Christian flag in a public school. 
I could show you dozens of pride flags. You're apple and oranging this. Religion has been cast out in school, which is fine. But LGBTQIA is a new religion of the prog left and also shouldn't be in schools. And their article, this is like the fourth one, Lawmakers Target Drake shows 14 bills. And they're freaking out that people are pushing back. Well, maybe they're pushing back because of this young cat. He made an account on YouTube. YouTube Kids is grooming children with LGBTQ plus propaganda. I made an account and what I found was disgusting. I made an account for 9 to 12 and one of the first videos I recommend kids meet a gender non-conforming person. Here is just one screenshot of the myriad of videos they have to inject children with in LGBTQ programming. And it's some of that amaze stuff. Trannies. Gay people pushing this on kids. There was a seamless, seemingly endless supply of these videos. Do children really have to capacity to understand these concepts? Hendry, two boys kidding. I'm gay. Kids stuff. I'm gay with young kids. One of the most prominent channels at YouTube Kids is Queer Kids Stuff, where they break down the infinite sexualities in the LGBTQ plus group in detail, which... Letter means what? Hey there, I'm Wins and my pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I am the creator of Queer Kid Stuff. And this is my best friend, Teddy. We are so excited to be sharing more Queer Kid Stuff with you. Together, Teddy and I are taking a look back at some of our favorite Queer Kid Stuff episodes with this compilation video. If you want to check out more cool queer kid stuff like our new project, Dear Queer Kid, you can sign up for our weekly newsletter and look at our website, QueerKidStuff.com, and support us on Patreon. If you love this video, hey there, welcome to Queer Kid Stuff. I'm Lindsay, and today we're celebrating Pride Month. We all are part of one big family. stuff. It's June, everyone. That means it's LGBTQ plus Pride Month. June is a very special month for the LGBTQ plus community. We call June Pride Month and we celebrate the LGBTQ plus community in different ways for a whole entire month. It's not always easy for LGBTQ plus people to be themselves, so June is the one time every year when we all get together to celebrate our awesomeness. It's a lot of fun too. Cities all over the world celebrate Pride Month with these huge parades with music and dancing and lots and lots of rainbow flags, just like this one. Rainbow flags are a symbol of LGBTQ plus pride. There are also a bunch of different pride flags that are symbols of pride for different identities. There's the trans pride flag and the bi pride flag too. These flags are awesome symbols of LGBTQ plus pride. Today, I have a very special song for you so we can all celebrate pride together. Thank you. 
Pride Month, everyone. We hope you take the time this month to celebrate all of the awesome things about the LGBTQ community. Thank you so much for watching Queer Kid Stuff. This whole month we're doing all Pride-themed episodes. Next time, me and Teddy will explain why Pride happens in June every year. If you ever have any questions about what Pride is, you can always ask your grown-up. And a huge, huge shout-out to our patrons over at Patreon.com. If you like Queer Kid Stuff and want to help us make more episodes like this one, you can support us over on Patreon. Check out the rewards over there. And that's it from me. I'll see you next time at Queer Kids Stuff. Hey there, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Teddy. Welcome, Welcome to, to Queer, Queer Kids Kid Stuff. Stuff. Today we're celebrating Pride Month. We all are part of one big family. Teddy? Yeah, June! What's so special about June, Lindsay? Well, it's LGBTQ plus Pride Month, Teddy. We've already learned all about what Pride is with a fun new song. Just when you think that the world's gone wrong, you're not feeling strong. Shout what you feel inside. It's Pride. It's Pride. Today, I wanted to talk about what makes June such a special month for LGBTQ plus people. I'm really starting to like June. It's a really awesome month, and it's very special to the LGBTQ plus community. Do you know why, Teddy? Not yet, but you're gonna tell me. <laughs> That's right. So, Pride Month has to do with something called the gay rights movement and activism. Oh, 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 just like when you read that book. Yeah, we read A is for Activist by Inocento Santoro for one of our Storytime episodes. It's one of my favorite bedtime stories. It's a really amazing book, Teddy. And it does a really good job of teaching us all about the different parts of activism. We also learned about activism when we talked about the Women's March. Activism is all about wanting something to change and then doing something about it. Okay. So, the Women's March was activism? Yep. There are many different forms of activism, and many different things that people want to change. A's for Activists does a really good job of telling us what some of those things are. And, people who do activism are called activists. Teddy, do you know that I'm an activist? What? I'm definitely an activist, and doing this show is a big part of my activism. This is activism? Sure is. Does that... Does that make me an activist too? Definitely. And do you want to know a secret? Just watching and learning from queer kid stuff makes you an activist too. That's so cool! We're all activists! Yep. Okay, now let's get to what activism has to do with Pride Month. Oh, right. That's what we were talking about. So, Pride started way back in 1969. That's when something called the Gay Rights Movement started. And that's the activism part, right? Yep, Teddy. 
The gay or LGBTQ plus rights movement is an activist movement trying to change unfair things about being LGBTQ plus. Back in June of 1969, some of the laws we have now that keep LGBTQ plus people safe hadn't been made yet. Like marriage equality? Well, marriage equality is part of it, but that was a pretty recent one. Back then, some people tried to tell LGBTQ plus people that they weren't allowed to meet in places where they felt safe and free to be themselves. One of those places is called the Stonewall Inn. It's actually still around today, right here in New York City. Oh, Lindsay, I wanna go, I wanna go. We totally can, Teddy. These two awesome trans women, Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera, were at the Stonewall Inn one night when this was happening, and they got angry about it and decided to stand up for their rights. This inspired a ton of other LGBTQ plus people to stand up for their rights too. I'm really glad they did that all together. Me too, Teddy. So that was a time here in the U.S. that different groups of people were using something called protest, a form of activism, to make their voices heard and make the government listen to them and help them change these unfair laws. Now we call it the gay rights movement. Okay, and that's the activism and movement stuff, right? Because they're trying to change something? Yep, and it's still going on today. We all stood up for our rights for marriage equality, which was a huge win for LGBTQ plus people. And now we're all standing up together again for something called bathroom laws, which are really unfair to trans people and trans kids. It's not cool to treat anyone unfairly. You're definitely right about that, Teddy. So a big part of Pride is remembering the very beginning of the movement that night with Marsha and Sylvia at the Stonewall Inn. The parade that happens in New York every year actually marches right in front of Stonewall. Whoa, there's a lot more to pride than rainbows and flags. Pride is so, so important and has a lot of meaning behind it. But rainbows and flags and celebration are all very important too. I love celebrating pride with you, Lindsay. I really like celebrating pride with you too, Teddy. Thank you so much for watching Queer Kid Stuff. This whole month we're doing all Pride-themed episodes. If you have any questions about Pride, you can always ask your grown-up. A huge thank you to our supporters over at Patreon. They are the best. Don't forget to subscribe for new videos every other Wednesday for season two. That's it from me and Teddy. We'll see you next time at Queer Kid Stuff. Hey there, I'm Lindsay. Teddy. Welcome, Welcome to, to Queer, Queer Kid Stuff. Stuff. Today Thank we're celebrating Pride Month and talking about drag. Queer Kid Stuff. You are enough here at Queer Kid Stuff. It's LGBTQ plus Pride Month, Teddy. Today we're going to learn about something called drag. You ready, Teddy? Ready. Okay. So, Teddy, I've got a question for you. Okay, Lindsay. Do you ever play dress up with your friends? All the time. Great. Drag is kind of like dress up, but it's a very specific kind of dress up and adults can do it too. Dress up is my favorite, Lindsay. I'm a big fan too, Teddy. I'm gonna bring in some help on this one. Hi, Lindsay. Hi, Teddy. Hey. Hi. Thanks so much for helping me out today. 
Teddy, this is my friend, Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Can I ask you two questions before we start? What are your pronouns and how do you identify? I identify as male and I use he, his pronouns. Jeff, I was just about to tell Teddy all about what drag is. Think you can give us a definition? Sure. Drag is when you dress up as a gender that's not your own. And it's usually really exaggerated. Exagger... what? Exaggerated. That means it's over the top or not realistic. People usually use a ton of makeup and wear really awesome costumes when they're in drag. Okay, I get it. So, some drag you might see are boys dressing up as girls and girls dressing up as boys. These are called drag queens and drag kings. You can't tell right now, but I'm actually a drag queen. What? <laughs> yeah, give me one second and I'll introduce you to Mr. Hi, Teddy. Hi, Lindsay. Hi! Um, but Mr. Mr. Yeah, Teddy. Um, Lindsay told me you're a drag queen. Tell me that's not targeting kids. Just that there's not an intent in this. Drag queen lipstick sync. Many of the episodes fear drag queen and queer kids. The host is Lynn Deanner, an American LGBTQ activist and YouTuber. She has been recognized by GLAAD and TED Conference and the Weeby Award for work related to LGBTQ educating and advocacy. That's the dude you saw. This is one of the most bizarre videos teaching children how to give consent. What exactly are they teaching children to consent to? Kid stuff. Today we're talking about consent. We all are part of one big family. Gaming's happy. Queer kid stuff. You are enough here at Queer Kid Stuff. Welcome to another episode of Queer Kid Stuff. Today we're talking about consent. You ready, Teddy? Ready. Teddy? Yes, Lindsay? Have you noticed that I always ask you if something is okay before I do it? Ready, Teddy? You ready, Teddy? Ready, Teddy? I guess so. And that I always wait for you to say yes before I keep going? Ready. 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 Yes. Well, that's what consent is. Consent is about consenting or giving permission to someone for something. So, saying yes is consent. Yes. Saying yes to someone is giving that person your consent. The easiest example is sharing. When someone asks you to share your toy with them, you can always say yes or no. When you're playing with someone, you should share your toys because it's a nice thing to do, but you always have that choice to give or not give consent. What if it's a special toy and you don't want another bear to break it? That might be a time to say no and not give your consent. The most important thing to remember about consent is that you should always respect when someone else says no. That is their choice to make, not yours. Even if you might not like their choice, you should always respect it because they probably have a good reason. Just like you always have a choice to say yes or no when someone asks to hug you. Okay, got it. I can only play with someone else's toy when they say I can. Exactly. It's really important to remember that yes always means yes, and no always means no. Any answer that isn't the word yes also means no. 
So yes means yes, no means no, and other things mean no too? Yes. Here, I've got a little song to help us out. It goes a little something like this, and you can help us out too. Too, Teddy. Lindsay? Yes? Can I do the outro this time? Of course. Thanks for asking. Thank you so much for watching Queer Kids Stuff. If you have any questions about consent, you can always ask your grown-up. Thank you to our supporters over at Payton, uh, Patreon. Patreon! Don't forget to subscribe for new videos every other Wednesday. Next time, uh, what's next time? We're talking about Frozen. What? I love Frozen. Well, we'll see you next time at Queer Kid Stuff. What the fuck is that? This thread is just, it goes on. They say it's about kids' toys and playing, but there's more sinister undertones given the cultural rise of maps. Take a look at Billboard Chris' recent video where a man says children consent to sex. A mature adult who understands the concept of consent, why should we limit something by their age? This is actually why. People who want to lower the age of consent for everything and just basically give kids agency for everything. Yeah. It is... Just fucking scary. And I fell on it. I didn't research this. I just got a thread came in my line from Gays Against Grooming. And I really thought it was just a maze. But everything in that is for kids. And it is adults trying to push kids to be fucking gay. Trans. All right. Last thing, and then we're going to move on to some fun, because I have a couple fun tracks to put in here. Um, this was a hit I was going to do on Lincoln Project. I started watching their shit, and I got to admit, it is as bad as you think, but they're already moving on. So here is their hits already on DeSantis and Haley. Watch, isn't it, Donald? Ron DeSantis betrayed you to become a star, raising millions by stealing your act, winning straw polls and fans. They're running to Ron, and Ron's running against you. You made him, and he betrayed you. He's laughing at you, running against you. He's taking everything from you, and by the time you fight back, it will be too late. Sad.
he runs again in 2024, will you support him? Yes. If he decides that he's going to run, would that preclude any sort of run that you would possibly make yourself? I would not run if President Trump ran. Nikki Haley is set to announce her presidential run in mid-February. We need to go in a new direction. And can I be that leader? Yes, I think I can be that leader. I've never lost a race. I said that then. I still say that now. I'm not going to lose now, but stay tuned. Yeah, but remember, it was just about Trump. That's all it was about all along. A quick military corner, uh, Pavlo, and how MREs are made. I edited these down, but these are really cool videos. When people think about special operations helicopters, the specialized, stealthy Black Hawk that was used on the raid to take out Osama bin Laden comes to mind. One might even think of the MH-47D, a variant of the Chinook that was upgraded with several tools to better handle the special operations mission. But one helicopter dominated in the 1980s, not just the special operations side of things, but also in search and rescue. The helicopter was the H-53 Pavlo. While the Pavlo did kick some serious ass in Panama during Operation Just Cause, during Desert Storm, over the Balkans, and in Operation Iraqi Freedom, most of its combat experience comes from a time when they weren't Pavlos. It was during another war, one where these birds went in on missions, that they became legendary. The Pavlos were originally known as Super Jolly Green Giants, Helicopters the Air Force used during the Vietnam War to rescue downed pilots. These choppers were given some extra guns, either M2, 50 caliber machine guns or 7.62mm, and 134 miniguns, for self-defense, supplemented by armor to provide added protection from enemy fire. A relatively small amount of these helicopters were built. A total of 72 airframes for the Super Jolly Green Giant mission were constructed. In 1980, when it came time to make the Pavlos, a total of 41 were produced. Initially, the Pavlo helicopters were slated to exclusively handle the combat search and rescue mission, but that was before Operation Eagle Claw. In the wake of the Desert One debacle, Pavlos were moved over to Special Operations Command. Special Operations troops needed more capable helicopters with crews that were just as well-trained as the operators who went in, and the Pavlos had the gear to do the job.
The Pavlo helicopters had impressive electronic suites, terrain following radar, global positioning system, communications gear, and forward-looking infrared sensors, which allowed it to make long flights. In fact, while the A-64 Apache was the star of Task Force Normandy, and Air Force Pavlo was the pathfinder for the mission, the Pavlos retired in 2008 after decades of honorable service. The NH-53 was a series of large transport helicopters operated by the United States Air Force in the special operations role. The NH-53 designation breaks down as M, standing for multi-mission, and A, standing for helicopter. The designation came about after extensive modifications were made to existing 853 Super Jolly Green Giants, or Super Jollies, operated by the USAF in Vietnam. After the war, these A-53 aircraft were fitted with a myriad of improved systems, new engines and new rotors, earning them an all-new designation through the PAVELO program, a program which greatly increased the type's ability for night and adverse weather operations. These helicopters were designed for long-range, low-level flights in an effort to assist ground special forces through clandestine insertion, extraction and resupply as needed, oftentimes behind enemy lines. The NMH-53 was operated by a crew of six, consisting of two pilots, officers, two flight engineers, and two enlisted gunners. Defensive suppression armament can consist of three 7.62mm miniguns, or three X-12.7mm heavy-caliber machine guns. The NMH-53 can record speeds of up to 165 miles per hour, a ceiling of up to 16,000 feet, and a range of 690 miles. Power is derived from twin General Electric T-64 GU-100 series turboshaft engines developing 4,330 horsepower each and powering a six-blade main rotor. The MH-53G Pavlo 3 series was based on modified MH-53H and HA-53 models for the Special Forces insertion slash resupply slash extraction role. 32 853s along with 9 NG-53H systems were selected for PAVELO-3 modification. Onboard systems included GPS, inertial navigation, and forward-looking infrared FLIR, along with an APQ-158 terrain following and avoidance radar. This allowed the MH-53 the ability to complete low-light, low-level, all-weather flights consistent with Special Forces operations. Improved armor protection for the crew and systems also greeted the design. The MH-53M Pavlo 4 represented the final iteration of the Pavlo series. These systems were upgraded platforms of the MH-53G Pavlo 3 and fitted with improved defensive capabilities. Chief among these is the implementation of the Interactive Defensive Avionics System slash Multi-Mission Advanced Tactical Terminal, IDS slash MayTT. PAVELO-4 gave MH-53 crews access to battlefield situations via a color digital map, even visible with the use of night vision goggles. The map was updated via satellite linkages and displayed near real-time data, including threats, along the flight route. MED-53Ms served on through 2008 in the Special Operations role in Operation Iraqi Freedom. The MH-53 series was then officially retired from active service 
with the U.S. Air Force Special Operations Command AFSOC, in 2008, dating back to their days as the HA-53 in the Vietnam War. A famous group of five such aircraft taking part in Operation Kingpin, the rescue of American POWs from Sun Tay Prison near Hanoi. These aircraft served for many decades in their modified forms. Operations in Desert Storm were also conducted with this platform. Sikorsky owned 53C Dragon Though the original Sikorsky S65 production models had only two engines, the S80 per hour 53E has three engines each, with four 380 ship. It is the most powerful helicopter ever built outside Russia. Of the early versions, the CH-53A and more powerful CH-53D were transports for the U.S. Marines Corps. All CH-53As were delivered with provisions for Todd Mine sweeping equipment, but the U.S. Navy decided that a dedicated mine countermeasures version would need more power and additional modifications. Accordingly, 15 CH-53As were transferred to the U.S. Navy as RH-53, a minesweeping machines with 3,925 horsepower T-64 GE-413 turboshafts and equipment for towing the EDO MUK-105 hydrofoil anti-mine slud. The RH-53As were used to explore the possibilities of these new mine-sweeping techniques, which had previously been tried only with machines of inadequate power, pending the arrival of 30 RH-53DC Dragon Purpose Bow machines. Equipped with drop tanks and later in-flight refueling probes, the RH-53Ds were soon re-engined with 4,380 Shep T-64 GE-415 turboshafts. The aircraft were delivered to the U.S. Navy from the summer of 1973 and about 19 remained in U.S. Navy service in early 2003, but were being replaced by MH-53S. Six RH-53Ds were delivered to the Imperial Iranian Navy. The CH-53E was developed to meet a 1973 demand for an upgraded heavy lift transport for the U.S. Navy and U.S. Marine Corps. From it was developed the MH-53E Sea Dragon. This definitive NCM, Mine Countermeasures, version has enormously enlarged side sponsons for an extra 3,785 liters of fuel, for extended sweeping missions with the engines that sustained high power. The first prototype MH-53E made its initial flight on 23 December 1981 and around 44 remained in service in industrial kitchen. But it's not there to manufacture food. It's there to develop the meals that fuel soldiers on battlefields anywhere in the world. Military Times Sarah Card visited that facility. So this looks a little bit like my elementary school kitchen. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about where we are right now? Yes, this is the combat feeding pilot plant. And this is where we do all the research and development of rations and all the new components that go into rations. So you'll see a lot of standard industrial equipment that you would see in a regular commercial kitchen, you know, with the mixers and the ovens and things like that. The kitchen holds a lot of equipment, but the real magic comes from the people who work there. One such person is senior food technologist Tom Yang, who showed us how to dry macaroni. What I'm going to do is not to dry to the total dryness, right. to the semi-moist stage, but shelf, still shelf-stable. 
And this is different from freeze drying. Oh yeah, freeze drying, you have no, you cannot do that. You have to either dry it totally or otherwise it's gonna spoil. But the microwave, because it's a uniform drying, it's, it's possible to dry uh, to the stage. Okay, so I'm ready to uh, load up. This machine is 10 kilowatt, almost like a 10 household microwave wow. jam in the air. So microwave getting there mm -hmm. to, to, to try it. And now with rotation, hopefully it can improve the uniformity. Great. And take about 20 minutes. This is a dry after, this is before, the same quantity, the same amount. And you can see the significant reduction of volume and of course the weight, because we remove a lot of water from there. Can we pick that up in scene? Sure, sure. You can feel it. Okay. And this one. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Significant <laughs> Much reduction. heavier. Yeah. yeah. With uh, uh, Army uh, full service uh, equipment uh, uh, technologists here, they are, the, they are professional chefs. Mm -hmm. So they can design what soldier like. Right. Entree or something like that. And then I can take it then making microwave dry. Mm -hmm. So I think that would be the ideal way that soldiers will have familiar food to eat mm -hmm. instead of something that they are, they are not familiar with. Because we, we are also playing with the psychology of the soldiers. Right. Make sure they feel comfortable eating it over and over again. What's your favorite thing to freeze dry so far? So far is cheesecake. Cheesecake? Yeah. Our lighter fare, Dame Drops. We've been watching him again because the guy is goddamn funny. Here's on a local Chinese one. I knew he did sandwiches and stuff, but this is this is good shit. Chinese spot ever. But then again, I never looked over here. So I guess we're going to be checking it out. Happy Garden, Berlin, Connecticut. Let's find out what this food game hitting on, all right? Hey fam, right off the muscle over here at Happy Garden, the one thing I have to say, if nothing else, regardless how this review goes, these people are honest. Now mind you, y'all, you know, why she have to open that up? Because, you know, I ordered a boop boop some iced tea to go on my meal. And she was like, hey, just to let you know, would you like to select a soda? Because my husband accidentally rang you up for a soda. And what had happened is, when I asked for the iced tea earlier for my man, he didn't see it on the register, so he had to make a phone call. And I guess they told him, you know, what to charge me for the iced tea. But he probably also hit the soda button just to charge me for something because he wasn't sure at first. So she was like, go ahead and pick your soda. She didn't have to. I didn't know because looking at my receipt, it doesn't give a detailed breakdown of everything I ordered. Right. But she was being honest. So I like that happy garden. You already got like a check in my book just for being honest with me. Mm -hmm. Oh, so this is my chicken for my sweet and sour chicken. You know, sometimes they put the that sweet and sour sauce right over the chicken. This is like, nah, you can go ahead and just dip it yourself, get, make yourself a plate at home, whatever the case may be. So I want to hit this chicken butt naked before we dip it up off into the sweet and sour sauce. Ooh, you hot. Ooh. Mmm. Mm. This is that, that light soybean oil. You hear what I'm saying to you? Light on the grease, not heavy on the grease. They, they weren't fried, died forever in a day. 
This got that Drake light skin on him. Mmm. Mmm. Oh, you was. Yes. Yes. Oh, that's that sticky, icky sauce. You have a little bit of thickness to you. Must be that sugar booger on you. Yeah, that's that sugar booger. Come here. Mm-hmm. Mm. A nice flat rate chew on the chicken. A light batter that matters. Not overly greasy. Sweetness coming through on the sweet and sour sauce. Something, something serious, something sincere. And there's not much more you could really ask for at the end of the day. This is a good sweet and sour chicken over here at uh, Happy Garden. Y'all doing your thing so far. Woo! Happy Garden, you're playing a dangerous game of good chicken with your sweet and sour sauce. Mm. We're starting off on the good foot. Okay. Oh. Oh. Yo, is that green giant broccoli? Green giant. Mm. This broccoli been steamed right here, boy. I could see it. I could see the visual effects in that broccoli. Dumb green. That's Marcy Green Project Green. That's that right there is green with envy. You know what I'm saying? Wild greenbacks. Dead presents in your pocket. Green green. But this beef and broccoli combination doesn't look half bad. I want y'all to go ahead and get right to business on that. Get your little nibble wibbles. Get your nibble wibbles. But let 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 your boy know how is that? What is that hand on? Visually, it looks good. Visually, it looks good. Let me start with the green giant. The green giant broccoli. Hey yo, chill. Nah, nah, chill, chill. Mm -mm. Let's get with the beef. Let's get with the beef. So I'm talking about beef and broccoli combination. The beef got wild chew on there. And letting me know the beef isn't for real. This right here is a nice little cut. Slender. It's a lean, lean beef, baby. Because you could break right through on every single bite. Not heavily salty. A light saltiness to it. But uh, I'm telling you, the glaze over the beef and broccoli is really setting this thing off. They made this one the right way, family. Because you can take your beef and you can take your steamed broccoli and that's that broccoli soft. I had to pronunciate all the letters in soft just to let you know what that broccoli hand on. Mmm, uh, hot. Mmm, mmm, mmm. Oh my God. Why are you so good at Happy Garden? Mmm. Now I like my little hood Chinese spot. This one definitely isn't in the hub. But maybe they were reading the reviews. Maybe they wanted to go forth with hiring different family members and friends or whatever. Somebody in that kitchen, not somebody, my man's that was back there. My man's back there, I didn't even catch your name, family, but you whipping up that work. Because your beef and broccoli is hitting on whatever it's hitting for. And got my taste buds over here just 
Oh my god, you so good, baby. Mm. This right here is beef and broccoli for real. <sighs> like a good tender day, I gotta take you home. Mm -hmm. I wonder if I take you home. Will you still want my love, baby? Because I need you tonight. Would I need to break up all that food, all that goodness, with a little bit of Canada Dry ginger ale? Mm. We got spare ribs, chicken wings, and beef beef. We gotta get directly at that something proper, family. So far, Abby Garden, you're not doing too bad with your food. Your food is actually spot on. Let's see what your wings are hitting on. Yeah. Meh. These are mid wings. These wings are mid. Yeah. Reggie wings. Things have been stepped on. No, you just not crack at all. Not much chicken on the wing. Which is to be expected. Um that soybean oil probably doesn't work too well on the skin with this one. Just kind of the, the flavor itself is kind of off. They're not crispy wings whatsoever. I mean, look like they fried wings, but none, there's no crisp. There's no bite that sets these apart from other wings and some of the Chinese hood spots that are actually crispy. Because I didn't have me some good wings, and this ain't it. Now, there's a particular Chinese spot that I go to for their beef teriyaki, and it is so sincere. It is official, family. Like, the beef really looks juicy and succulent. This has a little gleam to it, a little sheen on it. You know, let's go ahead and get that bite and see what that flavor's smacking on. If that flavor's smacking on anything. Mmm. 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 This is like a couple stairs down. To our, uh, this is America. We're going to bump in with a conservative talking about how he's sick of everybody using everything racist, which is true. And I know it's long, but I want you to listen to this. It's 14 minutes. It is Brian Seltzer being brought out to the big tech. How this guy, this is this just definitive proof that our media is broken. They're still talking to this guy like he's an expert on something. But this is actually not about race. This is actually an issue of public safety. And if I call this, if I call this an invasion, sir, I'm not racist. I can assure you I'm not racist. What I can assure you is that I want to make sure that fentanyl doesn't indiscriminately kill any race, religion, color, or creed. Because fentanyl doesn't care where you're from. Fentanyl doesn't care about race. Fentanyl kills indiscriminately. This gentleman right here works his tail off every single day to stop that from happening. Now, there's been a break in the dam, and that's pretty obvious. Because a couple of years ago, of course, we had some problems, but it wasn't amplified to the level that we are seeing every single day. And the reason why we have to be careful with what we call and what we deem racist moving forward in the future is because we, stop, we, stop lose, we start to lose focus on what the actual problem is. This administration, a Democrat party, unfortunately, uses race as a scapegoat for everything. And as somebody that wants to make sure that we do attack racist issues when they do occur, we can't be the boy who cried wolf and blame racism all the time.
I am here to hold this administration accountable to understand that there are issues of race that need to be addressed, and sir, this ain't one of them. I applaud some of your actions in El Paso. It sounds like you're doing some great things, but I'm gonna tell you, as being born and raised in Texas, living in Houston, we have a problem, and this problem has precipitated over the course of the past two years. That is a fact. I get working together. I get reaching across the aisle. But this morning, I can't believe that we had a one-hour debate over whether or not we should sing the Pledge of Allegiance before we convene every day. One hour. That, to me, is antithetical to the point of this meeting today. I implore you all to be careful with using race because your son's no longer here. And I'm sorry. There's 100,000 sons and daughters that are no longer here because of fentanyl last year. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. I love hearing that. I, I've been meaning to go back and rewatch the film. So now you're giving me a reason to. Yeah, it was great stuff. I mean, <laughs> I think between that and The Wire season five, that was like where I started to get an understanding of what actually goes on in, in a newsroom. And now so, you're busy at it yourself. Yeah, it's fun. Although no newsroom anymore. So it's <laughs> funny how things go. But actually that theme of how to, I mean, I'm able to do this because of a wave of technology that's changed the way that we do journalism. And I think that theme is probably going to come up a couple of times over the course of our conversation today. Yeah. So yeah, that's definitely. a good lead in. Let's talk about uh, your time at CNN. So what happened at the end there? When Can you sort of describe the last month or so at CNN? And why do, why do you think it ended up coming to a close? So you want to start at the end. <laughs> start, at the, start at the very end, and then we work uh, our way back. You know, the entire summer of 2022 is a, is a, is a foggy one for me. Um, but I look back now, it certainly was surprising in the moment uh, to have reliable sources canceled. I, I had hosted the show for about a decade, almost a decade. Uh, it had been on CNN for about 30 years in one form or another. Uh, and, you know, uh, I, you know I, I look back and to me that was a big surprise at the time. But now, now that I've been able to hang out at home, be a stay-at-home dad for a while, just, you know, have a different experience with the news and, and not be hooked into the, the cable news world minute by minute, I now feel a real sense of, of contentment about it. I, I now look back and I, uh, I feel like I completed the proverbial video game. Like I feel like I completed the challenge and uh, my time at Reliable Sources feels complete. Um, so I, you know, I think more than anything else, I'm thankful that I was able to sign off. You know, and that's a credit to CNN management that I was able to have a final program uh, and, and talk to the viewers and, and book some great guests. That's, that's a rare gift in television. It doesn't happen very often. Uh, so I think maybe that's why it feels complete uh, to me. And I just went through the last show on, uh, uh, I guess, right before we came on air. So it was oh, very cool. interesting. I listened How, to does it, it hold podcast. up well? <laughs> it does hold up well. And there's definitely going to be themes that you brought up that I think are worth talking about. It was, there were definitely interesting things that, that came up on it. I'll tell you one thing that I found interesting right off the bat. Um, and I have it noted down. So you had actually asked a media reporter, I think it was Claire Atkinson, on air, whether she had any information of whether John Malone, who was the uh, Warner Brothers Discovery board member, who said that you know he had nothing to do with the cancellation of the show, but he also said that he wants the news portion of CNN to be more centrist. 
And he's like, I'm not in control or directly involved. And you had asked, hey, do you have any reporting that sort of lets us know whether or not he was involved or not? Well, okay, now now we're a few months after the fact. That was in August. We're in January 23 now. Have you found anything out about that? I guess you're asking if I'm going to go and, and report out my own life or my own story. Uh, and the answer is no. I, I think I'm going to ever, I'll, I'll be the last to know um, right. about why Reliable Sources was canceled. Uh, I know the show was popular. I know it was relatively inexpensive. It was, it was relatively cheap to produce. Uh, and I know that uh, it, there's now a void in the marketplace as a result. Um, but I also, I don't look backwards at it because it's been so fun to have this time with my family and so fun to, um, you know, freelance for the places that I've always wanted to write for. So you know, I haven't really gone back and thought about, thought about that past, you know? Right. And I definitely want to, I do think, yeah. I do think, I, I will say the CNBC, you know, your contributor to CNBC, John Malone's interviews on CNBC are very significant. I guess I could be partially blamed for the creation of a lot of news networks, including yours. But, yes, I know but that. Certainly Fox News. Fox News, I think, in my opinion, uh, has followed a, a, uh, an interesting trajectory of trying to have news news. I mean, some actual journalism embedded in, in a program schedule of all opinions. And there's been a lot of reporting um, from from about CNN that lots of staffers there were worried about what he was saying. Um, that's not, you know, I, I don't know myself. I don't know anything about myself in, in that, but I know that uh, his interviews on CNBC were really significant. Yeah. Do you want to say a little bit more about that? Well, think back to last November when he made comments on CNBC saying he wanted CNN to be more like Fox News. That was a very significant comment. Uh, and, and, you know, it's been reported that some people at CNN were very concerned about that. I do want to ask one more question about this. The, the, report, the questions or the answers that Chris Licht uh, gave in terms of what happened, he said that there was, and it's kind of interesting hearing your perspective here also. He said that there, was, there wasn't room to do that show on a Sunday and he still wanted to have that reporting uh, but just integrated into daily day-to-day stuff and have that done with Oliver Darcy and Sarah Fisher. And then he kind of, Kara Swisher was speaking with him and, uh, and, and she asked, well, what about Brian? He's like, I don't really want to comment on that. According to Dylan Byers, Brian told friends he considered himself a sacrificial lamb. Um, so he had three years left on his contract, so it wasn't the money. I'm curious why you didn't offer him a, a different day or digital, just like you're talking about. I don't really want to get into specifics on that, but, um, uh, I uh, I don't think that's fair to him. All right. So there's the gap, right? You had you had the show; it was doing well by your account, and and then it was sort of like cut, and there was like, where's where's the space for, space for Brian, and he won't talk about it. So have you thought about that at all? Like, what's your what's your thought about about what the situation is there? Well, I think uh, Chris Licht, who I've known for 15, 16 years, who uh, I've always had a lot of respect for, I think I think he was being respectful to me and uh, by not talking about our private conversations. And I'm being respectful to him by not uh, talking about it either. Um, I think that maybe it's okay to have a little mystery in life, right? 
No, for sure. For sure. But it also, <laughs> it is interesting because it does sort of point to like what direction the network is going in. And there's been like this, this discussion, we talk about Malone, but we broadly, there's this meme that CNN is trying to become a little bit more centrist. And there's even this report from Dylan Byers and Puck that had, had you saying that you thought you were the sacrificial lamb and in order to make, make, make way for this change. And so like it is sort of CNN is an important institution and you're now you're playing kind of an important or you you're what happened with you plays an important role in sort of determining where it goes. Don't you think so? I'm, I guess I am curious, like, of course, mystery is okay. I think the content speaks for itself. Yeah, I, I think I think the programming speaks for itself, and the article speaks for the uh, the the you know the homepage, the the articles, the videos. They all speak for themselves. So you can have folks on the on the periphery saying CNN's trying to do this or trying to do that. But what's most important is you know what's the what's the news coverage, what's the content, what's the programming. And to me, as as a as a reader and a viewer, uh, the news coverage, the programming is outstanding. Uh, you mentioned Oliver, uh, my, my longtime friend who, who writes the Reliable Sources newsletter. Uh, I, I read the newsletter every night. I love his version of the newsletter. Uh, so, you know, centrist, I'm not sure what centrist means. Uh, I think, uh, I, you know, but I know that the programming right now is outstanding. And that's that should be the measurement. I think actually it's one of the taking a, a stepping beyond CNN for a minute. I think this is one of the critiques of how the news media covers itself, which is that we'll talk a lot about the personalities, the players, the conflicts, but not enough about the content, what's actually on screen or on the website. Uh, and that's what we should focus more on because that's the more important uh, piece. And, and by the way, like I, obviously as a media reporter for a long time, I believe deeply in media criticism and media coverage, that we do need to cover ourselves, that we do need to be a mirror, uh, you know, onto the industry. And there is there is a void of that right now. There's not enough of that right now. And the industry would benefit from having more introspection and more coverage of itself. No doubt. And I think that, like, I'm sure you can appreciate this, that the the gravitation towards covering the characters is actually a way to, I mean, what is news if not the world's events presented through personal lenses, right? So I think that, you know, of course, you can look at the stories, but the the way that this industry works through individuals is also pretty important. So I think that's what's behind the fascination of with so many people. By the way, I'll take that a step further and say that's going to be even more and more and more true um, as uh, as robots increasingly write. Uh, a good portion of the internet. And uh, as, as AI is responsible for producing more and more of the content that we consume every day, personalities and hosts and anchors are going to become, in my view, even more prominent uh, because that personal connection, that human interaction, that, that sense of companionship is what uh, generative AI will not be able to produce, at least not for a while. So in this, you know, for this, um, you know, middle, short to middle term of our futures, uh, personalities and companionship are going to become even more valuable in, in my view. Um, but I just don't want the content itself to get, uh, to get overlooked. That's all. No doubt. Yeah. And especially when you think about TV news, right? The content in, in many ways is the people, right? The hosts. I mean, I, obviously you know this, right? But the hosts, the guests, that's what you're getting. Like having a Tucker Carlson or having a Joe Scarborough, like that's the content. But anyway. Yes. 
So that's that's kind of like when I'm asking questions about your you know your departure and the network's you know post stelter direction. That's kind of where it's coming from. Less about totally. the gossip and more just like what is what is CNN going to be? I think that's what a lot of people are asking. And it's it's only awkward for me because right at the end of the day, I don't I don't know why the show was canceled. So I feel like I'm the the least reliable source about it. <laughs> but I think you asked just now the the the, the bigger more important one, which is what's CNN going to be. And uh, look, I'm just a viewer now and just a reader now, but I know what CNN has been for 40 plus years and what I believe it'll be for the rest of our lifetimes, which is one of the world's biggest news brands that people can trust when something great happens in the world, when something terrible happens in the world. That, that's the way that I viewed my, you know, um, viewed CNN when I was there and, and what I, how I viewed my role. And look, I was, I was one hour on one day. So I had this little, little tiny sliver. Um, but, you know, I, I had moments where big news was breaking on Sunday morning when news that had nothing to do with my beat happened to be breaking, whether it was a mass shooting or, or a space launch. And in those moments, like those are the big moments for, for television news. Um, those are the moments where people know to go to CNN. Uh, in the same way they know to go to CNBC when there's market turmoil and they know to go to ESPN when there's sports drama, they, they know to go to CNN in those big moments. And that is the, the, like the core. That's the essential that I think will never change. Um, and then, of course, there's, you know, what's what's big news to you might not be big news to me. There are reasons to be checking in with TV news and, 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 and digital every day and every hour. But on those really big moments. You know, that's what you protect above all else. And I think that's what they're doing. For sure. And it was, it's interesting. Do I sound like a total TV news shill or junkie? I- <laughs> a little bit. I mean, I, you know, I understand your perspective for sure. But it, it, TV news is, is in a very interesting moment. I mean, yes, all of that is true. And viewership is, I, I would say viewership is declining. So here's a stat about uh, CNN in, uh, let's see. It had its worst week in nine years in, from January 16th to the 22nd for only 444,000 viewers in prime time and 93,000 in that 24, 25 to 54 demo, uh, which is what advertisers want. And also 2022 was the lowest rated year in history for CNN. And you're also seeing just tremendous amount of, of cord cutting going, going on. And it, it is, when you think about the essential, the, the, yeah, how essential TV news is, these are some kind of interesting, I don't want to use the word headwinds, so I'll just say challenges that it's running into. Uh, I, I think headwinds is an appropriate word too. Is, is that over, is it an overused word? It's headwinds? just, yeah, it's become analyst <laughs> jargon at this point. Like, yeah. And any free, everything is a headwind these days. Everything's yes, a headwind. Go ahead. It's, yeah. I, I mean, I guess the way I see it is, yes, there, there, there are, let's take the Today Show at NBC, which is one of the most important brands in America. We can take uh, the CBS Evening News or any other brand that we choose. The the ratings challenge is real because there are fewer people available at any given time to watch on the big screen TV in a way that's going to be rated by Nielsen Company. Um, There are are ways to address that. And I think we can get creative and talk about ways to draw some of those viewers. To dovetail off what that congressman said, I... I, This is another of those... um, let me try to zoom in. We're going to pull the trigger. We're going to launch. I'll take a stab at it. I'll take first pass. Violent language. 
with our racism chart. It pretty much sums up everything we complain about as non-progs. They're wordsmithing so much shit on purpose to make you shut the fuck up. And eventually we have to just say, no, no more. We're not doing it. Because if you interlay everything in here, it's all hypocrisy. They're the ones with the violent language. They're the ones that want white people beat the fuck down. They're the ones that come and say, well, it's just about Trump. And then it's every conservative ever. They are the fascist. They will never stop because we'll let them keep going. And eventually we have to stop it. Ryan Seltzer should not be giving a class on how to tie shoes. And if you walk away from anything from this podcast, look at what those YouTube channels are doing. Remember, I was banned from YouTube. For just being conservative. They are outright predators. Going after kids. So every time somebody tweets Facebooks about it's all trans home. No it's not. It's parents pushing to legislators. The legislators are doing what the parents want. Because we're done with it. You're preying on kids. You're sick fucks. And it's got to stop. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Share the family and friends. Go to SoundCloud Flyover Politic with the K. Rumble 482467. Tell me to go fuck myself at foppodcast at gmail.com. I am hoping by Monday, which will be our next podcast, the 6th or 7th, I have my new mic. So we don't have to worry about this shit anymore because I'm getting tired of it. Until then, as and as always, thanks for listening, everybody. You take care.